We are never to slander or defame or dishonor someone's reputation, to insult them or to speak evil. We are not to have wicked, slanderous, blasphemous speech. We're to malign no one. And we believers get tempted to malign unbelievers, don't we? We get tempted to malign them because of their wickedness. We are to malign no one. Thanks for joining us for this weekend edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, your message today is an important reminder of how we're to be living as true believers in an ungodly world. You know, Dave, we've heard the term, we are to be in the world and not of it. So what does that look like in the context of how we are to live each day? That's what we're going to consider on today's edition of Equipping the Saints. Our text is Titus chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archive broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 19.6, God tells the Israelites that they will be a kingdom of priests unto him, ultimately a kingdom of priests to the nations. And we see that they were to be ultimately as a servant, as a light to the Gentiles, foreshadowing Christ, the ultimate suffering servant who is the light. But we see in Scripture that the Jews failed, that they were not a light to the nations, They ended up crucifying the true light. They were arrogant. They saw themselves as better than others because they were his chosen people. And we see in Scripture also in Revelation that we are a kingdom of priests unto our God, as we see in chapter 1. We see that we are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5. But we have the same temptations as the Israelites do to become arrogant in our salvation, to act in such a way that we think we are better than those who currently do not know Christ. And sometimes it is out of our arrogance that we treat a lost world in ways which are not godly. Sometimes we are disgusted over their sins and we become arrogant towards them rather than sharing the gospel. Sometimes we want them saved just for the sake of them changing rather than being merciful upon them. There are many things that motivate us to treat non-believers in different ways. But I believe we're going to see in Scripture today as we continue our look in Titus chapter 3, the motivation that God had to treat us in a way that we did not deserve to bring salvation for us. So with that, would you turn your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. And we're continuing our look in verses 3 through 8. And I sincerely attempted to finish this portion today as I studied. But we're not going to finish this portion today. We're going to get through between verses 4 and 5 and a half today. There's just too many good things in the latter portions. But what we're going to see today is God's motivation for saving us in contrast to the way we should be behaving towards non-believers who we were just like. Again, we've been going through the book of Titus. Titus, ultimately, Paul calls him his true child in the faith. He was a trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. 
Paul left him in Crete, that Mediterranean island, to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city. And then he gives the qualifications for leadership in the church whose head is Jesus Christ. There are to be godly men who exhibit Christ-like character, godly men who hold fast the faithful word, being able to exhort and refute those who contradict. And we saw that there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, in the latter portion of chapter 1, And we see there were those who teach things they should not teach, upsetting whole households, and that these elders, in contrast, should be silencing these people. And we saw ultimately that those who were such who taught things they should not teach were detestable, they were disobedient, they were worthless for any good deed, even though they professed to know God. And then in chapter 2, in contrast, to these false teachers teaching things they should not teach, Titus is told by the Apostle Paul to speak things only fitting for sound doctrine, to speak things that are only fitting for healthy, right teaching. And then we saw sound doctrine in chapter 2 concerning older men and older women, younger women and younger men and bond slaves. And then we were given the reason how We can do what God says we are to do. It is because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It is only because God's grace has been manifest in the person of Christ that we can now do what he says. And we saw that that grace was also present tense, instructing us, child training us, educating us to do these things, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. And that God's grace in the person of Christ through his word is instructing us to be looking for the blessed hope and the glory and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then we see the command to Titus, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you, Titus. This is how the Lord operates in his people. It is by his grace manifest in the person of Christ, instructing us to live righteously in this present age, looking for Christ. And then we see in chapter 3, I believe, these good deeds in relationship to those who do not know Christ. We saw in chapter 1, verse 1, that we were to be reminded to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And then we were given, ultimately, the behavior that we should have that we'll look at in a minute. And then we were given the motivation, which we will review today. We were just like them And then also how God was towards us when we were like them. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5 today, but we're going to review the whole portion. So how are we to behave around non-believers? How are we to behave around those who do not know Christ, who are acting in an ungodly fashion, who are not giving God glory, who are blaspheming his name, how are we to behave among them? Let me read the whole passage together, and then we'll look at our portions today. First one, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good deed. 
to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by this Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be heirs, made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for all men. And that's the exhortation we have at the end of our passage to point us back to the good deeds that we should be doing towards all men based on what God has done for us in Christ. So today we're going to look at verses 4 in the middle of 5, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll finish out the passage. But if you'll remember, we saw in verses 1 or 2 how we are to behave towards those who are not saved. We saw two categories. First of all, towards governments. We saw we are to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And that word obedience spoke of obedient to authorities. And we looked in Romans chapter 13, and we looked in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we looked at John 19, and we saw ultimately how we as believers are to be in the midst of ungodly authority, those that God has allowed. We saw that we are to submit to every human institution because God has ordained them, whether good or evil. Because God declares, Romans 13, that all authority is ordained by him and he uses them as his ministers and servants, even evil men like Pilate. And we saw that God uses the righteous response of his people, 1 Peter 2, in the midst of suffering to possibly muzzle and silence the ignorance of foolish men that maybe they might give God glory in the day of visitation. That instead of grabbing our rights, we yield and we righteously do what is right, and God might use that for redemption. And then we saw how we are to act among all men. And this is really the key to this passage. This is what we are to do. And then as we go through the rest of the passage, there's the reason why, who we were, which we saw last week, and what God has done for us now, which we'll see this week and next week, Lord willing. So what are we to do? Remember, we are to be ready for every good deed, the middle of verse 1. Verse 2, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Remember, we saw there were three basic things we should be doing. First of all, we should be ready, we should be prepared continually habitually for every good deed. And we saw that only because God is good, only truly good deeds come from him, that first of all, we must obviously have a relationship with him. We must have been saved by his grace and ultimately purified and redeemed that we would be zealous for good deeds. And then we saw, secondly, it is God's word ultimately that equips us for every good deed. Second Timothy chapter 3. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for what? For every good work or deed, ergon, every deed. And then we saw that God is the one who has prepared the good deeds for us to walk in. As we read earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Why? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, ready for every good deed, continually, habitually. And then we saw we are to malign no one. We are to never speak injuriously concerning anyone. We are never to slander or defame or dishonor someone's reputation, to insult them or to speak evil. We are not to have wicked, slanderous, blasphemous speech. The word was blasphemeo. We're to malign no one. And we believers get tempted to malign unbelievers, don't we? We get tempted to malign them because of their wickedness. We are to malign no one. But not only did we see that we are to be ready for every good deed and to malign no one, we saw how we are to be towards all men, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Two things, we're reminded to be uncontentious. We're not to be contending with anybody. Now certainly we contend earnestly for the faith in the context of false teachers, but not the world. We should be uncontentious. We should not be contending. And then we also saw we should be gentle. That word translated spoke of a forbearing spirit, graciously yielding our rights. And we saw all of this was in the context of meekness, showing every consideration literally to all men, or showing all gentleness, the same word consideration translated meekness. It is strength under control. We are to be this way to all men. That's what we are to be. We are to be meek. Strength which accommodates someone's weakness. This is how we are to be. And there we have it. That's how we should be. But Paul then moves on to give us the reasons why we should behave this way. He says in verse 3, 4, Explaining, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. For we also once were. Here is the picture of everybody before Christ. And we looked at this in depth last week. It is the picture from God's point of view. Everyone who has not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. For we also once were. Here's the motivation. You were just like them. And look what God did for you. And ultimately we'll see how we are to behave because of how God behaved towards us. We also once were continually, habitually in the past, first of all, foolish ourselves and disobedient. We were ignorant, we saw last week. And we were disobedient. We did not obey God. We may have set up systems of religion that made it look like we obeyed God, but ultimately we did not obey God. That was our continual habitual 
lifestyle before Christ. And if you do not know Christ today, this is a description of you. And it is a description of all of us before we came to faith. It levels the playing field before our gracious Savior. We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient. And then he says, deceived. We saw last week it spoke of being passively led astray. We were led astray. We were deceived. As we saw, we've been deceived by Satan. We were deceived by his servants, disguised as servants of Christ. We are also self-deceived. We had all sorts of ideas about God and life which were not true. We were deceived. We were deceived, led astray. And then we saw we were also enslaved to various lusts, or better said, we were slaves too. We were actively serving these things, various lusts and pleasures. The way the non-believer lives, and if this describes you, I ask you to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You serve your own desires. It is my will, that's what you serve, your multifaceted desires, and you also serve your pleasures. Rather than serving God and doing His will and wanting to please Him, you serve yourself wanting to please yourself. And if you examine your hearts before the Lord, maybe this is describing you, and it used to describe all of us. And then we see we spent our lives in malice, spending our life in malice, or the course was malice and envy We desire to harm others. Maybe not serious harm, maybe serious harm. We desire to harm people. We spent our lives in malice and envy. We desired, we were envious of the things that other people had. We were envious of their advantage and therefore desired to harm them in our hearts. And then it says we were just plain hateful, hating one another. Folks, you see these characteristics popping out just as you drive your car. This is manifest, but ultimately, regardless of how well you hold it back on the outside, God sees the inside, and this is a description of every one of us before Christ. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember, we were also once disobedient fools, led astray, serving our own lusts and our own will for our pleasure, living in the context of malice and envy, from the nature of hate, hating one another. That's the way we used to be. And why do we contend with the deceived? Why do we malign the deceived? Why do we speak harshly to them? They are just the way that we were once. Now, I shared this last week. Some of you might be saying, I was never that way. And I tell you that you are self-deceived and is an evidence of that because God says this is the way we all once So at this point now we have a contrast, and this is where we move into our passage today. We have a contrast between the way we were and what God did when we were like this. And this contrast should motivate our righteous behavior towards those who don't know Christ. So here we go, and I'll read the passage again. And notice the contrast, the wonderful contrast in Scripture, but God. And we have one of those wonderful contrasts in Scripture that should cause us to praise Him. Verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, 
and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, then here's the contrast, what we're going to look at today. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. That's what we're going to look at today. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll see how he saved us, the mechanics of our salvation in Christ. Did you notice the contrast? Verse 4 begins with a but. This most wonderful contrast between what we also once were continually, the way we were before Christ, and now what God has done in Christ. And this contrast should be a motivating factor for how we treat those who are not in Christ. Those who were just the way we were. So what do we see here? First of all, I believe we see God's motivation for saving us and that that motivation has nothing to do with us. We're going to see we should treat people rightly, not because they earn it in any way, shape, or form. Just like our salvation, it had nothing to do with us, but had all to do with his wonderful character manifest in Christ. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Now, before we look at this passage in depth, I want to point out the grammatical structure here. The main phrase in these verses is, He saved us. That's what it's talking about. He saved us. And all the verses between 4 and 7 hang on this phrase in some way or another. And verses 4 to 7 are speaking in some way or another concerning our salvation. Notice the he. Well, who does that he point back to? It says earlier in verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior, it is God our Savior who saved us. Then if you look down in verse 6, it says, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, who saved us. He saved us. And the verb is in a tense that speaks of a completed action. It's a done deal. He saved us. And this verb is the normal word used to speak of salvation, sozo. It speaks of deliverance. It speaks of rescue from harm or great peril. It carries the idea of saving. We use the word the same way. I saved his life. Right? Someone was drowning. He saved my life. I was slipped on the cliff and he grabbed my arm and he saved me. It speaks of deliverance. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, 
All our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we wrap up our time together, how do we keep from making non-believers our, our project uh, and love them as Christ does? You know, Dave, we are all tempted to do what the Lord wants us to do in our own power and strength. And, and when we do that, people become, like as you said, a project. But rather what we see in Scripture is that as we truly love Christ and depend on him, he's going to guide our intentions and our motivations in light of the people that he brings around us. So then when you reach out to those around you who are non-believers, don't do that in your own strength. Make sure you are submitting and trusting Christ to work through you. You see, the world is watching, and although we're in this world because of Christ, we are truly not of it. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.